Hello, and welcome to the Pink Isle. My name is Henry Kathman, and joining me is Emma Corey. Hello. How are you feeling on this uh, beautiful evening? Okay, I suppose. Yeah, you did get kind of suddenly a bit hot today. That was nice. Yeah, but we're not here to talk about the weather. We no. need to talk about Barbie Fairytopia. Yes. Uh, the 2005 fifth CGI film from Barbie and the first Fairytopia movie. Yeah, which is sort of its own spin-off in the CGI Barbie movie canon. So this one actually has like sequels. Yeah. So according to this, they got uh one, two, up oh, three ones so far. Three. But they the got fact- three sequels and then they have like a spin-off to the spin-off, which is the Mariposa film that yes. like takes place in the same universe. There's something about the Fairytopia movies that, for some reason, attracted Mattel into wanting to make multiple ones set in these worlds? Well, just, like, think about it with the whole, like, Fairytopia thing. That gives you, like, a lot of options to make, like, different color variations. And not only did they have, like, the fairies in these movies, they also had the mermaids. Yeah. So, it was was just kind of, like, sort of, like, a spin-off line that just sort of developed into its own thing. That's fair. Maybe it was, like, Mattel's way of making their own, like, My Little Pony competitor. Hasbro makes it. Or or it could be, like, a... It might have been, like, a sort of competition to the Disney fairies. Oh, yeah. Because that was, like... that Before it was the movies, that was, like, a... It was, like, a toy line, and it was, like, a series of mm -hmm. books. And this should be the first original in the series. Yes. From what I know. Everything so far, we've been primarily doing stories that have been adaptations. Yeah. The franchise was created in 2005, Disney Fairies. So, coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. Suddenly this movie feels a lot more cynical now. But I suppose that that's to be expected with a company like Mattel. But, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how an original story ends up being translated. Yeah, though I assume there will be like a lot of like influences from previous types of media like this. So. Yeah, I. It'll be interesting to see how much. Like when most people think fairies, like your mind usually goes to stuff like Thumbelina and Tom Thumb, and of course Peter Pan with Tinkerbell and the fairies and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Unlike some of the first movies that we've watched for the show, this is the first movie that I'm going completely blind into watching. Yeah, I have zero memories of ever watching Fairytopia as a kid. I mean, probably because by 2005, I was in fifth grade, and I probably had zero desire to actually watch these movies. Like, with the other ones, like... My younger siblings were still watching them, so that was the reason why I was probably watching them in the background. But by that point, they've sort of grown out of liking Barbie and sort of negated the point of watching these movies. Yeah, definitely. I think I remember watching this movie before, but I feel like I remember the sequels more. Because after this one, they had the Mermaidia movie, which from what I remember was sort of like an adventure film. And I think this one is also like an adventure film, like going to places sort of thing. I think the third movie they had was like, it was like them going to like magic school. Really? Okay. Yeah, it was like a magic school type movie. Well, that's going to be very interesting to deal with when we 
get to that.、Yeah. I wonder what could have made them want to do a school about magic. But yeah, that could be true. But either way, I mean, I like remember enjoying these movies, like for what they were. I think.、Uh, You know, as a kid, like the sort of like kind of fantasy stuff was always pretty appealing, and so that'll definitely be interesting to see. It'll see like, do they actually like develop the characters as the movies go goes on? Yeah, and with an original fantasy story with this, it's going to be interesting to see how they might approach world building with this. Because、yeah. on one hand, my expectations are somewhat low because I'm not expecting something to the depths of like. Middle Earth or the Forgotten Realms in terms of like intricacies in terms of its world, but the fact that they were able to make multiple films set in this single world shows that there was probably something about this setting that could have some future narrative potentials that could warrant like all those sequels. So yeah, and I think it's definitely going to be、uh, cool to explore because in Nutcracker. They had the fantasy world, but it was、yeah. mostly it was like coming from like an outsider、yeah. point, and they didn't really have the technology to make it feel like big. Yes, with like all the map paintings and stuff like that. And、but、Swan Lake, it was essentially just like <sighs> one forest, <laughs> just one part of one forest, and that was their yeah. fantasy world. Yeah, and Rapunzel was just like a mansion and a single town. Yeah. So that's this... why I always like adventure when Barbie does adventure stories where they can like. Go. It usually involves them like going to certain places and having to do some sort of like test of character challenge along the way. And if what from what I remember from this movie, that's definitely like a big aspect of it. So all right, yeah.、Then. I guess to quickly go through the cast and crew for this movie. Yeah.、Uh, returning We... is superstar Kelly Sheridan.、Uh, is it Sheridan or Sheridan? <sighs> you know that five episodes in, that's probably something you would think I would. Figure out, but I would say Sheridan.、That's、Sheridan probably、guessed. makes more sense. I mean, we follow her on Twitter too, like at Pink Isle Pod. Anyway,、yeah. uh, but looking through the rest of the cast, this is going to be a first because this time for the fifth movie, there's no more requisite C-list actor to play as the villain.、Yeah. This、Unless like there's someone on here that's so C-list we don't can't even、yeah. recognize them. Yeah, I don't. It's hard to tell. I remember this having a female villain. Yeah, yeah, I I'm looking through like the names of like characters, and it's people like Laverna or Azura and or Dahlia. Dahlia. Do, are any of those names ringing a bell in terms of like? Well, apparently she was in X Men Two United. Yeah. 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 Looking through all the cast listings for. These actors,、yeah. and、It's... we also got、uh, Tabitha Saint Germain of My Little Pony fame. Okay, I'm admittedly not that well versed in that scene. So,、uh, Tabitha Saint James, she's a big deal. Well, she for... was a, a rarity in the Friendship okay. Magic series. Yep, I know. I、characters. know about Rarity. Yes. Based off of the people who talk about her and stuff like that. Oh God. Yeah. So I'm getting flashbacks now to that that era. Oh, do oh, were you were you a friendship is magic fan? I was actually in like middle right. school. It was kind of a weird fandom dynamic in there. Is all I, bet, I am like, gonna say. In between being like the intended show's audience versus yeah, it it did always feel a bit weird when like older dudes were like, "This is our show." 
you gotta appreciate it. And it's like, uh, okay. Yeah, that's, I think it's going to be a very long time until we as humanity will be able to fully comprehend the full-on effects of bronies. Yeah, definitely. I definitely think it was sort of like a thing where like straight men felt like they had to like overcompensate with yeah. their liking of a series like that. Yeah. And ended up making it weird, you know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The brony debate another, will be for another day. Another day. Another day. After all, the My Little Ponies do share the pink aisle with Barbie, so... Yeah. Not and, you know, I was, like, a fan from My Little Pony since they had, like, the Generation 3, which was way lower quality oh, of films. Okay. I remember watching yeah. those old films. They were they were not good, even in memory. Oh, like Lord. That. that, again, that's going to have to be another day, because I, listener, full disclosure, I'm pretty tired today, so the prospect of thinking of multiple My Little Pony generations, that's... <laughs> Ooh, that's way too much for my brain to comprehend. Hmm. All right. But well, anyway, uh, we forgot to mention the we got new writers yes. for this. So, uh, returning as director is William Lau, but as an assistant director, we have Walter P. Uh, Marthasius, who... who was, he was an art director for Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which is yeah. my most favorite movie of all time. So Yeah, this this is a guy that's definitely done a lot of work. He serves as a director for this movie, but also as the art director, which makes me wonder, like, what sort of capacity was he working with in this movie? Because this guy had a lot of work in the early 90s. Like, we're talking... Uh, the next Karate oh, no. Kid. He worked on Theodore Rex. But it, yeah, he also worked on Dinosaur. Oh god. So which is probably dinosaurs. what got him into like the sort of CGI animation scene. And Dinotopia. Yeah. Oh lord, Dinotopia. But like we said, he worked on Demolition Man, the house with a clock in the wall. Did anyone watch that movie? Oh, no, but we don't need to talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, Jack Black. It, Hey, he's got his YouTuber career now, so he's good. Yeah, Jack Black's gonna be fine. Yeah. I just feel more bad for Kate Blanchett. Then oh. again, Kate Blanchett can do whatever. That's true. But as for the writers, we have another team up of Elise Allen, who is kind of a pretty big superstar in a lot of children's animation. Like, she's done uh, writing for Dinosaur Train. The Lion Guard, a show called Lolly Rock. Yeah. Gotta be honest, listener, when we saw that name, we kind of had a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction, but yeah. it's it's all fine. Hopefully. Lolly Rock is okay. Hopefully, Hopefully, yeah. Oh, no, she was a writer for the TV show Cosby. Oh. Wait, is this different than the Cosby show? Yeah. There was, oh, gosh. Yeah, there's a... Uh, I think it was, like, an unofficial follow-up to Cosby, like, in the 90s. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's, uh... The less we think about that one, the better. Yeah, definitely. But as for the second writer, we have Diane Duane, who also has some pretty stellar credits on her IMDb. She was a writer for Batman the Animated Series, DuckTales, Gargoyles, and Star Trek The Next Generation. Except 
when looking at the individual things she worked on, she mostly just worked for like a single episode. So it's it's one of those weird things where, again, I would love to know more about like what was going on with her on the production side, because she's still theoretically doing writing work. She did her most recent writing credit is 2010, but yeah, it still it's begs some questioning. Definitely. Yeah. Did she write for any of the other Barbie movies? Looking at it, no. It looks like pretty. This was like until 2010. This was her last writer's credit before doing the Lost Future. So, yeah, I don't know. A teleplay is that the guy from Walking Dead in it? That's Sean Bean. Oh, that's not the guy from Walking Dead. No, yeah. He was very scraggly. He looked like (laughs) that one guy with the 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 Michael Rooker. Yeah, Yeah, who's Blue Man and Guardians. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Sorry, Sean Bean. That's okay. I'm sure he doesn't mind. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's not a whole lot to say from the production side of this. It's going to be, like I said, it's going to be really interesting to see how this translates to an original fantasy story. But, I guess until then. Yeah, I feel like we're definitely getting into like the experimental years of the Barbie movies. Yes, where and they're the like fact, trying out different things. Yes, the fact that you can also say that there were experimental years within this franchise, I think shows that there's a lot more like complexity and creativity that was going into the franchise than some people well, get credit think, uh, for. This movie this movie series has gone on for almost like two decades now. Yeah, we're gonna be closing in on like the second decade and like ooh. Two years. Yeah. Yeah, 20 whole years of Barbie movies. That's going to be very interesting to do it, so. Go on Mattel for keeping it up, I guess. I I mean, when they have a good thing, they don't let it go. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty much it. Do you... Yeah. Ready to start? I I am ready. All right. It's time. It's time to... For some fairytopia. If you're pure of heart and truly believe, you'll discover the rainbow to Fairytopia. Fairytopia, a world of wonder. Where glittering sparkle fairies light up whispering woods. Where magical mermaids splash in the sea of dreams. If you truly believe, we'll show you the way. Fairytopia, a world of wonder. Barbie and friend dolls each sold separately. And we're back. So that was... It was a movie. It was a movie. Yeah. I feel like when going back through the plot synopsis of this, I'm going to be a little bit more reliant on the Barbie movies wiki. By the way, Barbie movie wiki, if you want to sponsor this podcast in some way, we would be more than happy to oblige on your guys' behalf. Shout yeah. out to the Barbie movie wiki. You've been a big, you've been a big help. We actually recently we had a mystery solved. Yes, because we forgot to mention this in yeah. the intro. Because in our Rapunzel video, we had mentioned on how how on the Barbie wiki there was like this. It was just a, regular Wikipedia because we haven't discovered the Barbie wiki when we just were reading through. Okay. Well, on the re- regular Wikipedia, it said that there was like a fairy godmother in it when yes. that was not. What happened? No, it turns out that apparently people like to vandalize the Barbie Wikipedia pages. But it's so weird. You think if they'd vandalize it, they would just like... I don't know, know, like talk about how the movie's bad or something. But no, they just added weird plot information that 
just wasn't there. But special shout out to uh, Melrose on Twitter. You can follow her at Locktobra. We have like the aforementioned tweet in question. But yeah, if you have any things you want to say to us, don't be afraid to tweet at us at Pink Isle Pod. But yeah, thanks a lot, Melrose. You were a real big help with that. So either way, Fairytopia. Fairytopia. It kind of, when it starts out, it just kind of like puts you right into it. It does. As I said in the intro, I was really interested in seeing how they approached their own original fantasy story. And I was curious to see how they would approach the world building and like the mechanics of this world. And I... Even though I didn't have a lot of expectations, maybe those expectations were too high because, yeah, they don't give any, like, exposition for, like, how this world works and, like, yeah. what it, how it's structured or anything it like that. It literally starts with the voiceover saying, through the rainbow is fairytopia, and then we're in fairytopia. Yeah. Which... To be honest, like, for a kid's film, though, sometimes that's, it's like... That's kind of all you need. Like, yeah. I should stress, I do not, like, it's not the biggest problem that they didn't explain every single plot mechanic. Because, honestly, I do think that lore dumps are kind of a... are becoming an increasingly big problem in a lot of storytelling nowadays. Like, because yeah. so many, like, people on the internet just want to know how every single plot mechanic works within that world without like, actually delving into what it means thematically and stuff like that. Yeah, and in that way, it's almost kind of like, it's almost... I honestly don't really mind that they just kind of, like, put you into it. I think they, they definitely, like, establish a lot of things early on. But yeah. But I think as it, as it goes through the movie, you're like, okay, this is what they're talking about when they say this. I think the only reason it bothers me is because uh, some of this lack of, like, the lack of world building and stuff like that, it only really seems to bother me because it doesn't really give you much of a sense for what Barbie's character, Alina, has to deal with. Yeah. Like, it, like, we'll get into more detail of it as they go on in each place, but I feel like just giving a bit more of a state of normalcy, yeah. like, even more so than what they do in the beginning, just to give, like, what how this world works, that way... You know, not to get to Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, but, like, establishing more of the normal state could help us better identify with Lena and maybe give us a, I don't know, just better understand what some of the stakes are. Because it, because going into this movie, like, the world is already kind of getting attacked and stuff yeah, like that. literally, like, one of the first things, they're like, oh, this person has been kidnapped. And yeah. Like, Who? Yeah. Who got kidnapped? It, it just makes it so that it's really hard to gauge what the stakes of this world are. Yeah, and definitely, and we don't really get, like, a lot of background for our protagonist, Alina, at mm -hmm. all. Because there definitely are some, like, sort of There are some moments. things in the background yeah, where you suspect that, oh, there's this thing, but they just don't get into it. Yeah. So, anyway, Alina, Barbie's character, is... A fairy living in Fairytopia, except she's not like those other fairies. Yeah, so Alina's thing is that she does not have wings, unlike the other fairies that are around, and she gets kind of like bullied for yeah. this fact. And this is a big thing that they talk about in this movie, where like 
the things that make you different are the things that make you like unique and good and like it's talking about embracing your differences and stuff like that. Yeah, and which, to, to give this movie credit, they kind of like, they definitely do go into that sense of uh, because of what she lacks, she's able to like look at issues in different ways mm-hmm. than other people do. But then they got to kind of ruin it with the whole like, also, she's kind of the chosen one too, you guys. Yeah, yeah. So they also kind of undercut it with a, a couple of things that they do at the end. Yeah, so, definitely. But... Before getting to that, I just, I feel like I should give the shout out to this. Like, uh, when looking at the reception to this movie, some people have looked towards Alina's character arc because she is someone without wings and that makes things more difficult for her to traverse, like the world of Fairytopia and all that stuff. Some people have saw that as an allegory for what it's like when living with a disability, be it a physical disability or a mental one. And... That's a good thing that to talk about, especially in children's media. Yeah. But, but the way it's handled in the movie, like, yeah. later on in the movie, she gets, like, a flying companion. Yeah. So it kind of, like, makes that part of the journey moot for a while. Exactly. And also, like, it almost felt like they could have started where they could have gone out in the direction, but it kind of loses that towards the end. I agree. But anyway, just to establish, we find Alina, and just to, just to start off, like, the backgrounds in this movie. We yes. actually got some, like, cool environments. Yes, so something we found when looking up this movie is that there was actual concept art that has been publicly released for the Barbie Fairytopia movie, and that's something we're probably going to be releasing on our Twitter once uh, this episode comes out. But, like, I think the fact that there's, like, this very clear art direction with this world... Like, they definitely had a very consistent aesthetic in mind. And when most people think, oh, Barbie fairy movie, they're probably just thinking, like, very generic stuff. But credit to, like, the production designers and the concept artists and stuff, like, they actually put a lot of effort into making, like, each single area visually distinct. Yeah, and maybe that might have to do with the art director. I think you mentioned that. Yeah. That it does have a... I think the way this movie looks... In some sense, it looks really good at times. Uh, in other sense, it looks yeah. kind of cheap, especially when you go to the models themselves. Yeah, I f- it almost feels like most of the budget was spent on these very vast and, like, wide-open environments. Because, like, it, it almost feels like this movie was more meant to sell you on this setting yeah. rather than, like, and that's the like, characters. Yeah, and that's why it's a spinoff in the beginning, so they can focus on this particular aesthetic look they're going for. Because the, the, the fairy models, like Barbie, it's yes, okay. than the regular movies. Like, yeah. it's more, they got, like, sort of, like, skinnier bodies and kind of, like, in like, proportion to the head. Yeah, I, I did a quick comparison between them and The Princess and the Popper, the last movie. Yeah, and even looking at The Princess and the Popper from the screenshot, like, they definitely look, the CGI models look better in that one. Yeah, and maybe it's just because this is, differently lit because there's sort of like this pink haze that's kind of like covered yeah. all of Fairytopia. Yeah, that sounds miserable though. I'm actually walking outside and it's just sunshine rainbow in your eyes. Oh yeah, that it probably strain your eyes eventually, but yeah. the thing with like these characters is that they seem to be more flatly lit. And because of that, it makes them feel 
for lack of a better word, plasticky. Yeah, and that's kind of a problem with this movie from like a visual standpoint. It feels very flat at times, and a lot of times, like the perspectives don't line yeah. up as well as they could. Because early on, uh, she meets these things. They're called like pixies, but they're like yes. the same model as the regular fairies, just smaller. J- but- yeah, but it's really hard to tell if they are actually smaller. Or if they're just at a different distance. Not to mention the fact that they didn't establish what the pixies are and how they were different from the fairies and why they were smaller and all that stuff. Like, it just made it look like, oh, those fairies are far away. Oh, no, no, they're just right next to her. Okay. Yeah, so this movie is definitely a mixed bag design-wise. It's it's got some, like, really beautiful background Really beautiful background. But, like, it definitely shows its imperfections when it comes to like the character animation i think and i feel like that's nowhere more exemplified than bibble yes it's time for us to talk about okay yeah so something they establish also in this like beginning segment as alina's going about her day she has a puffball friend sort okay so imagine if uh uh sully 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 monsters inc had like a tumor that like gained sentience oh. and like grew, grew, grew off and started like yeah. speaking in fragments. So you know the chipmunk from Emperor's New Groove? Yeah. Bibble sort of sounds like that, right? Except where in the Emperor's New Groove, they were sort of playing that up because they wanted to subvert the whole cliche of like, oh, cutesy, somewhat annoying animal friends that Disney was known for in the Emperor's New Groove. This one, they're just... They're just laying it out there. And there's a reason why if you Google Bibble right now, you're just going to get a lot of memes oh, for yeah. Bibble. People, the, the most famous images is one of him singing, which is actually from the, the sec- sequel. Yeah, the but... Mermaidia movie. But Bibble is in this movie, and he's a... So we've gotten away from, like, the talking animal sidekicks, Yeah, too. which, I mean, makes sense, because you're going in a fantasy setting. You might want to establish that. To incomprehensible yeah. creature sidekick? Yeah, I'm just trying to, like, parse this out. Like, I think the idea they were going for is, like, a cartoon ladybug, but fuzzy? Yeah. And it he just... He does got those fur effects, though. He does have the fur effects, so I guess... Credit to Mattel. That's like, where 30% of their budget oh went. Oh my god. Uh, just on Bibble. <laughs> 30% on set design. 30% Bibble's hair. 30% on the water effects. Yes, because yeah. gotta got spend money on those water effects. But yeah, Bibble, maybe it's just the combination of his voice and the way he has these just really big eyes. Like, the doll version that they made of Bibble has these really cute, just, like, button black eyes. But the fact that they made these eyes, like, big and wide with, like, pupils and irises. He's kind of like a little furry baby. Like... Yeah, it just doesn't... But a a man furry baby. (laughs) It just doesn't translate that well in my mind. Like, to the point where it just felt somewhat uncomfortable anytime Mm. he spoke. He wasn't very, I don't think I, even as a kid I ever found him, like, cute or anything. Just yeah. kind of, like, strange. I bet if we reached out to any parents that watched this movie with their kids, they would probably have some words to say about Bibble. Yeah, I mean, he never quite, like, goes into, like, no uh, annoying, like, no, he doesn't... annoying to handle territory. He's just sort of an odd kid. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the fact that it's subtle enough where it's, like, it doesn't put you over the top. 
but it's just enough there where like it's impossible to ignore. He's watching you from the corner of your eye. You see him there. Uh, I don't like that at all. So anyway, as the pixies are making fun of Alina for not having wings, Alina is ignoring their taunting and they're scared off by Dandelion, Alina's friend, who is a fairy who does have wings. And yeah, they're just talking about how like, you, you don't need to worry about them making fun of you, even though Alina's like, oh, I don't. So it's like, what, what's the point of that conversation then? Like, I guess to reinforce to the audience. But anyway, the, the pixies come back and they tell them, Topaz has been captured. Yes. Who they established that she's a part of like these like fairy guardians, which are like yeah. the protectors of Fairytopia. Which is, yeah, which they, this is the first part of the world building that could have just been a little explained. Like, like even in that, like, voiceover where, like, they would talk about, oh, in Fairytopia, there are beautiful magical realms overseen by the fairy lords. Like fairy lords. Or the, is that what they were called? They were the fairy guardians. The fairy guardians, sorry. So the, the fairy guardians. So, like... They could have, like, just they could a call little them bit. The Archfey. Yeah, because this is literally the first time we're really hearing about the fairy guardians. Yeah. With this Topaz character, like maybe if Alina was interacting yeah, with Topaz like at least once like, before. Yeah, they should have like shown her to establish that she was the guardian of the realm. I feel like they could have like done with a bit more like before plot, like you mm-hmm. said, like with. Alina going about her day, kind of establishing, like, where she lives. Because, like, I don't know, I guess the movie never really gives us enough time to really care about her home that she lives in. Yes, so I guess that next part where hearing news that Topaz might be kidnapped, both Dandelion and Alina leave for their separate homes. And Alina lives in this place called Peony, which is this magical sentient flower that she just so okay so she lives inside this apparently like some plants have sentience in this yeah and have names and souls and the the flower it's like her she lives inside the flower and it's like her friend like it's but also like kind of like a maternal figure because it like feeds them and it makes their bed and it plays a lullaby for them and it's just there's just this level of familiarity that we, the audience, just don't really get to understand. Yeah, it's them. definitely, like, because they don't really establish a lot about her past. Because her friend, Dandelion, tells her that she needs to go back to her mom. So Dandelion has, like, a mom, like a family. Yeah. Say. But Alina just has a flower and bibble. So it's like, is she an orphan? Is she an orphan? Or... Is, like, her lack of wingless a reason why yeah. she's all alone? They like... never establish how, like, winglessness works because, like, they establish she's not, like, the only one. But... But we never see any other wingless fairies, so it's kind of like... Is we it... don't really see any other fairies in general because... Yeah. see, this movie was very clever because later on they establish that there's, I guess, an air sickness going around that yes. way... When they go to these environments and there's, like, no one around, they can just be like, oh, they Everyone's were just hiding. sick. They're all sick and they're hiding in home, which that's that's fine as a narrative excuse. Like, I get it. You don't necessarily need every single scene to be filled with thousands of fairies in the background. But 
maybe like just like one or two establishing shots of like maybe some fairies in their home and they're sick or something like that. Yeah. Because like I said in the beginning, doing this makes it feel like there aren't many stakes to the evil Laverna taking over. Yeah, because for like all the vastness of the world, it feels very empty and kind uh-huh. of hollow sometimes because of this. While Alina's like, asleep and doing her own thing. The movie cuts back to our villain, Laverna, who I guess was the twin sister of the, what was the title? The Enchantress. So they got the fairy guardians and they also have the Enchantress who is like this big magic user that I guess like protects. She like gives the magic to the fairy guardians. So, and I guess she's like the ruler. Like, and there's, like, this sort of, like, divine right thing that they're kind of evoking with, like, her and Laverna's struggle. And there's, mm-hmm. it just reeks as a lot of, like, oh, one true king stuff, which is, eh. Yeah, it's kind of not really well established how the hierarchy works in this world. But anyway, we have yeah. Laverna, who has kidnapped Topaz, and mm-hmm. she plans to kidnap the other fairy guardians. And they're all sitting in, like, this throne room. And the cool thing about Laverna is that her, like, castle is like a cactus. Yeah. Again, big shout out to the production design team. Like, they did a good job in terms of giving each environment a distinct flavor. And by placing Laverna in this, like, cacti-filled, like, area, it definitely makes it a lot more apprehensive. While still being somewhat non-threatening as a setting. And I especially like the design of, like, this throne room that they were taking that pretty much all the villain part stuff takes place in because she has like all these thrones for each one of the fairy guardians and she has this second giant throne overlooking the whole thing and i don't know it it feels properly menacing without being too overwhelming to kids i think yeah but anyway she ends up talking to topaz about essentially what her plan is is how she's going to uh kidnap every yeah, kidnap all the fairy guardians and, like, distribute this, like, airborne flying sickness, is mm-hmm. what they're called, that essentially makes the fairies too weak to fly. Yes. So they'll turn to her for guidance. Yeah, and, no, she would provide the cure yeah, in exchange for becoming the queen. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and during this, she uh, made a fake peace treaty with... Her twin sister, the real... Uh, the Enchantress. The Enchantress. She literally shows up in this movie twice, so... Yeah, who, who the Enchantress, who she has uh, essentially poisoned into mm-hmm. a coma. Again, it feels like it would have been a lot more compelling to see Laverna, like, do these things. Like, even though this movie's only 70 minutes long, I feel like if they just had an extra 10 minutes at the beginning where, like, they show, like, peace in Fairytopia and, like, oh... Great news, Laverna has declared peace as well. And then she could do some stuff in the background to make things. But they also established in the beginning that people thought Laverna was a myth. Yeah. Which, like... the Enchantress is clearly a thing that everyone believes in. Yeah. So is there, like, some, like, There's, like, some historical up? revisionism going on. Again. There, there's some interesting things, like, Laverna, she's essentially using, like, biological warfare. Yeah. To get her way... With Laverna poisoning all of the magical meadows where Alina lives, uh, she decides that she needs to head over to Fairy Town in order to find the next fairy guardian, whose name is Azura. Azura. Yeah, she blew. 
she blew. Mm -hmm. But because she's never left the meadow, there's like this air of danger to it, but Bibble and Dandelion decide to go with her. So we get there essentially the beginning of the hero's journey. Yeah, so... And they get to this forest only for the sickness to come by, and a dandelion gets put out of the picture. Yeah, so they're just walking through this bamboo forest, which, again, looks really cool. Nice production design. But as soon as this green cloud just covers her, and it's just like, oh, I'm too weak to fly now. Wait, I could walk. But Alina's just like, no. You have to go back. Yeah, we do get this a few times where Alina is kind of like, kind of like nurturing to people, where she like tries to like protect people. Yeah, but like it's that. a weird type of nurturing where it's like, like it's like she's like their mom or something. It's sort of on one hand, it's like oh, she wants to make sure her friends are okay, but it almost feels like she's like asserting her dominance over people. Like, yeah. oh, I'm the only one that can do this. Yeah, and I guess that also comes in because she's like she doesn't get affected by the sickness because she yeah because she fly. doesn't have wings. So I suppose so that kind of like comes into her like I'm the only one who can do this thing right now, but yeah either way she sends Dandelion back, which feels sort of like strange afterwards because it's not too long after that she arrives in Fairy Town. Yeah. Where it turns out that Azura is not seeing anyone today, and like because of the sickness, like it's basically a quarantine zone where like no one is allowed to be out and about. So, yeah. and Fairy Town's got like a cool design too. She yeah. goes out and they got like these like purple flowers hanging over, which I guess aren't the sentient kind of flowers. No, she does, she's good at just like ripping off one of those to use as a parachute. So yeah, she sneaks past this like bureaucrat sort of dude that's like kind of turns her away mm -hmm. and she follows this other fairy messenger that said that oh we received word that ruby has been kidnapped and it's like okay who's ruby what it turns yes. out another fairy guardian has been kidnapped ruby is the best character to be honest <laughs> we'll get to ruby's thing in yeah. a little bit eventually this leads to alina following this fairy messenger and as you said she deploys this a flower parachute as she descends from the entrance to fairy town and follows this fairy messenger to Azura's place. Yeah, and I really like the design of Azura's uh, house. Yeah. It's sort of like it it looks kind of like an abandoned English house that's just been overrun by this nature. And Oh my gosh, is Fairytopia like a post-world story? It'd be certainly interesting. My kind of future, to be honest. What? It's about good right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, or maybe the fairies are the next step in human evolution. Oh yeah. Biology, we're going to evolve. Get them wings. Sounds fun. So but anyway, getting back to what we were talking about. So she, she manages to sneak into Azura's place. Yes. Which is covered with these guards that are kind of just Not flying doing around. good at their job. But then again, as we said in Barbie and Rapunzel, it's somewhat expected that like incompetent fantasy guards are kind of the name of the game in these movies. Yeah. But she eventually has Azura come out. Or rather, after Azura hears the news that Ruby has been captured, she spots Alina out there. Yeah. And then when Azura and Alina meet, 
she gets like there's like a flash there's of like a flash of the rainbow eyes. in the eye so like yeah she's like the chosen one or something yeah so up to this point i was eh ambivalent on this movie but i was at least like vibing with alina's character and how like okay she's self-determined like she's doing her own thing because she wants to help out her friends at least like in terms of fantasy tropes they haven't done the and then they did the tropes in one thing and i was just a little like yeah uh, it just felt kind of like unnecessary like yeah yeah like why did she need to have the rainbow in her eye because it doesn't really do anything like isn't the fact that she's like a wingless fairy enough for this movie yeah i don't know it just felt like it it was like tacked on because they never really explained like what it means Mm-hmm. Or, like, it's not like they have, like, a prophecy or anything like the other ones. No. Because, like, these Barbie movies have a thing where, like, this one character, she was just destined for greatness or whatever. But it, it feels just like, if you're wanting to, like, empower girls and show them a message, why not just be like, yeah. No, anyone uh, could do this. Yeah, like, like, you Alina, don't need a special destiny to do great things in the world. Like, it could just be a simple matter of having a desire to improve things. Yeah, I agree. Like, sometimes it feels like chosen one narratives are, like, kind of like a cop-out writing-wise so that you don't have to necessarily explain, like, the motivations for why a character does things. Yeah, cause... but in this case, it's not like it even really gives her, like, any special power or anything. No. They literally could have, like, taken that part out and it would not have changed the movie at all. Yeah. Maybe that's something they build up more in the future installments, but yeah. at this point, it's just... It kind of was a little bit of a disappointment, mm-hmm. but... But anyway, she, like, ends up having a tea with Azura... And she sets, like, this table with a bunch of empty places. And Azura explains, oh, these empty places are for the friends I haven't met yet. Yeah, which is, like, a phrase that gets repeated a lot throughout the movie. Which, initially, when they repeated this phrase, I was under the impression of, like, this movie is going to be about, like, keeping an open mind about people. Like, and not, like, having assumptions about the people you meet. And... Maybe, like, almost like a message of not tolerance, but more so, like, empathy and keeping an open mind by, like, oh, you never know who you're going to be friends with. You gotta be able to, like, accept everyone. Yeah. And they just don't go there. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, the the way they try to frame that message, it feels, like, kind of confusing because they almost frame it in the sense that she, like, uses that to be, like, protective of people. Yeah. she was, like, already protective of people before. Exactly. And, like, they sort of used the mantra of friends you haven't met to, like, justify, like, I need to protect everyone because some of them will be the friends I've never met. Which, if that's the justification, that feels like if you knew who was not going to be your friends, would you not protect them? Like, it feels like this movie has a lot of different morals that they're all kind of just integrating into this movie, and it's a little bit of a hodgepodge because of that. Yeah, the only thing I can think is that they don't really establish it completely, but I guess it's almost kind of implied that, like, Dandelion and Bibble are, like, her only friends. Yeah. So she, and since she's, like, bullied, she might have, like, a hard time, like emphasizing with other people a lot of the time. And she's kind of like easily manipulated at the end before yeah. she like has her moment. It's, it, it's difficult to understand where they were going with this. But yeah, definitely. Azura tells Alina that she, she has to... She also gives Bubble a big old bowl of tr- tricks. Yeah, and Bibble's just going to town on that. And yeah. 
Oh, also, the tea, the water effects for pouring of the tea, it, it looked good. Well done. Good job. Well done. You, you decently animated some water physics. Well done, Mattel. So, uh, Azura tells Alina that she has to head to uh, this forested area in order to meet with the Dryad who can find the key to defeating Laverna. But she knows that she can't take her necklace with her. Yeah, they established they... the necklace that it was given to the fairy guardians by the Enchantress to like give them magic. Mm-hmm. But she ends up giving it to Alina. Alina. Yeah. Because she wants to keep it safe. Which, okay, fine, that's that's good. Mm-hmm. But... Which, the only thing about the scene, it's like, why was she like not already doing this? Why did she need to Yeah, why did she need to Alina wait? And yeah. And to go? Well, I mean, that's when she got the, me- she got the messenger uh, okay. at the same time as when Alina showed so up. So it's just a big coincidence that Alina yeah. just happened to be here at yeah, the time. Yeah, a little bit, but, but coincidences but okay. are to be special, expected. Okay, she's special. She's special. She got the rainbow eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she sends Alina to bed, and there's almost this sort of maternal relationship between her and yeah. Alina, but it, that just kind of goes nowhere, and she's like, suddenly goblins! Azura just opens the door, and one of Laverna's goblins just kidnaps her. Yeah, we haven't really mentioned Laverna's uh, minions. She's got the goblins, and then she's got these, like, firebirds. Well, the firebirds don't come until a little later. Yeah, well, they were kind of established earlier on. Yeah, I mean, they were in the background. That's fair. But the goblins, this is probably the biggest indication that this movie had some corners cut in it because they had one model for the goblin and gosh dang if they're they, are they not just used use it. it and here's the thing having recycled character models that's not like the biggest problem like 3d animators do this all the time especially if you're dealing with a big crowd scene and all that stuff it's fine it's expected but when you're doing that there's this sort of expectation that you have to like sort of make the design somewhat simplified that way it's not so overt that you're repeating the same sort of character but with these goblins every single detail about them like they have these very distinct parts of them that make them unique like Every single goblin has a hole in their right shoe that's exposing their toe. They have these two warts that are in this specific place on their noses. They have, like, the same shirt and all that stuff. And it's one of those things that even if you wanted to, like, put them all in the same outfits, because, okay, save money, but, like, doing stuff like maybe losing the shoe detail, it would kind of make it less overt, because, like, it kind of just calls into question of, like, why do all these goblins have the same hole in the shoe? Yeah. And these are definitely like out of all the movies you've seen, the worst bad guy minions so far. It's like, yeah. please bring the gay weasel back. Yeah. I they it, like I was not expecting like any of these movies to make me want the gay weasel again. Yes. But, <laughs> but he, he had personality, okay? Yeah, these, these goblins, goblins just kinda are there. It's like, I don't know. They're just essentially minions, but, like, they all have the exact same models without any variation, so it just makes them look kind of weird when it, they're all moving together. Exactly. Not to mention the fact that they just have these gigantic noses and mm-hmm. all that stuff. It just felt a little, like, Ugh. Yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, uh, Azura gets kidnapped yeah. just before she was going to go do things, so that means. It's up to Alina. 
to go find the magical scary forest so that she can... Oh, the Wildering Woods. That's yeah. what they were called. See, that's the thing. Good names. Cool ideas and cool, like, separate worlds. It's just, there's more that could have been done with them. But yeah. Alina has to head off to the Wildering Woods. But during the night, Azura told Bibble to go find someone for her before she left, just in case that something happened to her. So, as Azura is kidnapped, Elena is caught by the previously mentioned bureaucrat-like fairy from before. And he accuses Elena of doing something to Azura, mm -hmm. and this leads to a little bit of a chase scene. And just before uh, she falls off this ledge, they the butterfly! They meet butterfly! They meet, yeah. He's another one that looks kind of like cuter in the toy version yeah but in, he has a very similar head to bibble yeah. like i think it's the eyes i think the eyes are just way too big like those sort of big expressive eyes those are pretty good in 2d animation like that's basic principle of animation is that you want the eyes to be like big and expressive so that it's easy to discern the emotions but when you transfer that to a 3d space without it being like properly developed like 3d face work is extremely difficult because once you enter the third dimension there you start dealing with that aspect of the uncanny valley yeah and i think this was definitely made in one of those periods where lower tier animation studios were still trying to figure out how to animate people and like more humanoid creatures like Heck, The Incredibles was still, like, coming out, and they yeah. were still trying to figure that out. So it's one of those things where good effort, I guess, but Butterfly makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, he's kind of, I don't know, he just looks a bit gross. Is all a little bit. Like, because... and the fact that he's all muscly, too, doesn't yeah, help. Like, I... you want to imply that... His big arms make me uncomfortable. I don't, don't want to know if the Butterfly has abs movies. Like, just... No. No. Yeah, but, but anyway, she gets a, she gets away on the butterfly. Yeah, and, and the butterfly has like this. Oh, his name is Hugh. Like, get it? Hugh? Like, like colors? colors? And also yeah. the name? Yeah, it's brilliant. Well done. But anyway, oh, we forgot to... Um, we also get a cut back to Laverna's yeah. lair where Azura has been captured. And we haven't talked about uh, Ruby, so... Yeah, it, so... Ruby is this male fairy that's wearing red. He has red goatee and a little bit of a ponytail. Yeah. And he's just a very sassy guy. Yeah. All these, like, throne scenes, like, all the guardians are just, like, sassing her the entire yeah, time. Yeah, it almost felt like, like, the fact that Laverna was serving them food and, like, giving them tea, it almost felt like, like, were it not for the magical barriers, this would just be, like, a really catty brunch that they were going through. It's like an awkward family dinner or work get-together. You gotta go to it. Yeah. Like... Some of the lines I give were pretty fun. Yeah. But Ruby and Topaz, they were definitely the more enjoyable Same. fairy guardians because literally everyone else is just yeah. silent. Aside from Azura, yeah, they don't talk, so it's just those two. But, yeah, Laverna's still explaining, like, her whole plan, and soon Azura is delivered, and it's discovered, oh, she's not wearing the necklace. And Laverna's like, I'll only ask once, where is the necklace? And then there's a pause. Where is it? I thought you said you would only ask once. But don't tiss. 
Yeah, like that's the sort of humor to expect with these sort of scenes. But, but I mean, I, it's, I it's, like them. They're it's fun. better than nothing, and it's it definitely makes the dynamics a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, even though it does kind of like sort of undercut any sense How, of threat because yeah. the very guardians themselves don't seem to take the situation that seriously. Yeah, they're like the fact that they're doing like all these jokes and stuff. Like, sure, there's like this magical barrier that keeps them in the seats but it, it feels like if anything if Alina just waited them out like the guardians would just like annoy Laverna to death before anything happened so yeah Hugh begin to make their way towards the wildering wild when suddenly the firebirds begin to chase after Time them. Time for a chase scene, a very slow, a very slow chase, chase scene. Yeah, through a canyon. Yeah, maybe I don't know what it is with like maybe there was just a limited amount of processing power in terms of how they could animate it, but yeah. there's just the action scenes just feel very draggy. In yeah, because everyone moves so slowly. Yeah, the way things fly, like because with the flight, they kind of want to have to emphasize. Oh, it, look how majestic this fairy flying looks like. But what it ends up just feeling like is that they're kind of just like slowly floating across, almost like a very cheap movie, like dragging something on a string across the screens to yes. in order to make it. That's seem how like this movie was created. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, they end up navigating through the canyon, and during this chase scene, one of the firebirds dies. It explodes. It just like runs into one of the rocks, and it just bursts into this like puff of like red and orange confetti and it's just like it is noted in this movie that if anyone dies they just like burst into confetti yeah but it's like oh death hey movie where was this before could have used it for some stakes earlier it was it was honestly a little shocking but anyway after this chasing they find themselves in the mermaid topia section of fairy topia and Actually, it's Mermaidia. Mermaid. That's oh, the, it's I'm fairy-topia so sorry. and Mermaidia. Where okay, they you gotta, meet. You, you gotta get the brands right. Yes. <laughs> uh, apologies, okay. dear listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apologies to you, Emma. Yeah, but, I know my stuff. Yeah, you do. <laughs> uh, but uh, they, in order to escape the firebirds, they fly off this rainbow-colored waterfall, and they disturb some relaxing mermaids including Prince Nalu. Yeah, who is a character that appears very briefly here, but I believe has a bigger part in the sequel, which is yeah. about the mermaids. Which kind of fate falls into what I kind of had a growing suspicion about with this movie, where this movie was more about like selling viewers on Fairytopia as a brand so yeah. that like they could iterate it more in future titles, like... Because they, like, go through all these, like, different areas. And it almost felt like, oh, if the if the focus group saw this movie and answered a survey of, like, oh, what were your favorite kingdoms in Fairytopia? And, and it's like, was it ever going to be anything else but the mermaids? Yeah, exactly. Kids love mermaids. Kids love mermaids. So it's... God, remember when they had, like, the mermaid movie trend in, like, the mid-2000s for a while? Oh, They yes. had that H2O show. They had yeah. that... They had that Aquamarine movie. Oh, yeah. They, they had the 13th year. Oh, God, the 13th They had 
Splash, which I watched. That was in the 80s, though. Yeah, I remember watching that movie as a kid. I was probably way too young to watch it in hindsight. That'll be definitely something to discuss with uh, Mermaid Tovio when we get to that. But, But Prince Nalu gives them this magical seaweed so that they can breathe underwater and sea. take them... Sea. 50% sea, 50% weed. <laughs> and uh, he escorts them to the area of the forest. Yeah. And, and they do go through like some cool like coral landscape. Yeah, again, very beautiful design. Kind of hard to convey in an audio medium, but yeah. And they do put water effects on Bibble's fur as he's in the water, so that was probably another 10% of their budget oh, just yes. for that shot. <laughs> Yeah, because he shakes off the water and his fur is still wet a little. And it's like, okay. But after after that, uh, she finally uh, makes it... Well, they finally start flying again to the forested area. Before we go, we forgot to mention... Uh, Alina and uh, Prince Nalu have some uncomfortable long moments of eye contact. Yeah. So you thought you'd get a full Barbie movie without a love interest. Yeah, that's... Kind of like... Oh, gotta tack this on so that we can sell a Ken doll, even though they did not make a Prince Nalu doll for this movie, as according to the Barbie movie wiki, but... You see him more in the sequel, but I guess that was established here. I suppose so. Because originally he was, like, mad at them when they kind of crashed him, but then he saw the pretty lady, and he was like, like, Oh, I will help you now. So. Such a selfless prince. Oh, yeah, just just such a nice guy. Anyway, so they make it to the big forest where they're trying to find the dryad. Yep. And as they're flying, oh... Hugh gets hit with the gas, so Alita's got to go by herself again. Yeah, and the, they have another scene where he like tries to go with her, and she's like, no, I have to do this on my own, kind of echoing the earlier scene with Dandelion. Yeah, which... Which is even weirder, because he like looks like he's like older than her. Exactly. And it's like, the fact that they have this beat in these movies occur multiple times, it almost feels like, like, they were trying to set something up, but, again, there's just, it feels like there's very uh, subtle bits of setup in this movie with extremely little payoff in terms yeah, of the definitely. writing structure. But, uh, eventually, uh, she does find the dryad, after running into... The happy trolls. These happy trolls. They just pop out of nowhere. They just pop out of nowhere. They rhyme. They rhyme. They lead her to where she needs to go, and then they disappear. Never to be seen again, and... In a very horrifying manner, to be honest. Yeah, just... Ugh. I feel like it was with, like, these sort of more cartoony characters that the movie become. Like, the cheapness of this movie yeah, becomes more like, they try over. to be, like, cute, but they're kind of, like, mm. They look like they're mutated Keebler elves that, yeah. like, or one of those discount classic troll dolls. Like, yeah. no thank you. I Like, the fact, and I almost get the sense that, like, 
again, like a lot of stuff in this movie, they were kind of, these things were probably designed before the movie was made. So they probably were like, shoot, we made these troll dolls, but we got to figure out a way to add them into the movie. Uh, just add them in this scene. All right, and then they'll be gone. Yeah. Also, they had a happy troll doll that was a woman, or at least has longer hair and, like, like some sort of shirt on top. But she's, or they are never in the movie. Yeah. And, it's just, yeah. It's just, like, it kind of seems that reminds you that's like, oh, yeah, this is a movie to promote toys. Yeah, I feel like it's, like, not that there's anything inherently wrong with that. I mean, there are actually, no, there are some pro- problems there's, with there's a like, lot of things wrong with capitalism. Yeah, yeah there are. I should specify. I should re. I should rephrase that. Uh, like I think it should be phrased. Um, despite it being a toy commercial, you can still make good content. Yes, like you I, know stuff like Transformers, like these. They or stuff heck, like, even stuff like Barbie and Rapunzel and Princess and the Popper. Like, yeah, like those are very commercial products, but like they were still able to get like some thematic depth and like get able to say something in them. Yeah. But in this movie, it's just kind of like... It feels like, like they kind of, like, teeter on the edge, but they're so, like... It's a lot more focused on, like, showing off the settings. Yeah. And so some of that more, like, character-driven stuff just gets kind of, like, lost, I think. Yeah. Maybe that's why the flying is so slow, is so that they can, like, marvel at these vistas and, like, look at look at all these beautiful worlds of fairytopia and don't forget to buy the play sets yep and all three of the elves or the trolls or yeah whatever. but anyway she ends up meeting uh dahlia who was a dryad yes she's just another fairy lady that we yes. assume has magical powers but she never gets to use them she so never gets like... to use them and honestly she doesn't really do much in this movie which is a shame because she sounds like she would be an interesting character yeah I know, because she talks about how she used to work for Laverna, but when she saw that she was making this evil gas in order to take over, like, Fairytopia, she wanted to quit. But no one would believe her that she wanted to change for good, except Azura. And that's why her and Azura are friends. And it's like, you have something there, movie. Like, you already talked about, like, the whole friends you haven't met yet. Like, maybe keep an open mind. Don't, like be so quick to judge people like that's it's something it's something really interesting that you could get into movie but you just don't yeah and pretty much her essentially her only purpose in the plot is to lead alina to her hideout and like we never even get to see her like even like do any sort of magic thing and it's like a bit I don't know, it's just a bit disappointing. Yeah, and it begs the question like why did azura need to meet with her then? Like what Oh, wait, there was one thing that uh, Dahlia does contribute, that one way to defeat uh, Laverna is to find the point of convergence, Mm -hmm. which... Some very vague... We forgot to mention earlier that there's a scene in Laverna's castle where she establishes how she's going to, like, safoon the magic from their necklaces into, like, this crystal thing. Safoon? Safoon, yes. Siphon? You mean... (laughs) Is it not safoon? I'm pretty sure it's Siphon. I like saying Siphon. Okay, so okay, I'm sorry. It's Siphon. No. All right. Potato, potato, 
siphon Safoon. All yeah. right. So, uh, yep. So, Laverna is going to Safoon the uh, color powers from each of the fairies. Yeah. And she even, like, gives, like, helpful stick figure drawing examples. To illustrate. See, this is how we're going about how these scenes, like, are kind of, like, the villain is, like, supposed to be doing this evil thing, but they're kind of, like, goofy. So yeah, like, 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 if they wanted to make her menacing, she would just, like, leave them in the chairs and just, like, only come in to, like, do these, like, occasional villainous moments. But no, she's just kind of, like, hanging out there, too. Which, I feel like we credit to this movie, it does seem to accurately capture what would happen if you were kind of just, like, stuck in a somewhat non-threatening captive situation. Yeah, because she never really, like, threatens to, like, harm any of them. Yeah. And even there's the thing with, like, her whole, like, gas thing she's doing, they kind of establish, like, it's not really in danger of, like, killing anyone. No, because, like, they are, they even implied, oh, there's already a cure for it. So it's, yeah. like... So there's no real, like... There's no threat of death in this situation. Yeah, unless you're a firebird and then poof. Yeah. She, Again. She doesn't even, because you think of... she would, like, try to kill the enchantress, because that would. Yeah. But no, she just puts her in a sleep coma. Yeah. So. Uh, Which I mean, is kind of disappointing, because in the past, there were villains that were definitely, like, yeah. we're going to kill this person. Like, compared to, like, villains like Gothel and, uh, like, Rothbard. Rothbard and, uh, what's his name? Uh, Pilgrimin. Perringer. Perringer, jeez. Oh, yeah, yeah, he was threatening to kill them at the Yeah, Perringer. Honestly, I think Perringer is still kind of my favorite villain. Oh, yeah, it would be hard to overtop him. Yeah, I gotta be honest. Apologies to Laverna, but I think Rothbard kind of overtook. Rothbard is no longer the... My least favorite villain in these mm. movies, which I feel bad saying because she does. I get the sense that her voice actress was kind of given very little material to work with. Like, yeah. she definitely is, like, plenty hammy in her lines. And she has that right level of camp in terms of her delivery. But yeah. it's still but just. They just don't give her a lot to do. She's in the castle the entire time. She yeah. never really, like, goes to, like, intimidate any people. So it's like... Maybe if she was, like, a more. Like, the fact that there was, like, this air of mystery behind her where they were like, oh, I don't think, is Laverna actually real? Maybe she is, maybe she isn't. Yeah. Like, they almost gave her, like, a Voldemort sort of or thing like going. Like a boogeyman type thing, but yeah, she's, like, not but, scary, so it's Yeah, like, exactly, so it's like. Yeah, she's just kind of like a, a gal, you know? Yeah, she's just like a gal she's like, with goblin she's, friends. She's a weird wine aunt that's <laughs> hanging around that's, like, she definitely really gives. mad that she wasn't included enough on the wills. Oh, so she's yeah. gonna, like, keep you there forever. Oh, so. yes. Like, she's like that one aunt that will just, like, talk about, like, her one ex that she only dated for, like, two weeks, but she's still pretty salty mm -hmm. about it, and she'll just talk about how, like, uh... And she'll, like, she'll just get, have way too many rows and just, yeah. she'll just talk a lot. Are you speaking from experience here? No, <laughs> actually, but I, I imagine if I spent, I, I've heard stories. Okay. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. All to right. protect the innocent. <laughs> True. So okay, so we end up going into the castle. And yes, they have this whole scene where she's uh, Al Alina is like breaking in, whilst her friends are kind of like distracting the firebirds and the goblins. Yeah, the goblins. And during this, like, 
uh, oh god, Dahlia is just dr- riding on Hugh's back. Yeah. Which that might have been a good chance for it to showcase her drama. Her magic powers. or something like yeah like, did you need her to like, like there's, I think the implication is that Hugh is a faster flyer than the fairies because he has bigger wings, but at the same. But, like, they don't actually say anything about that. And it feels like in this fantasy setting, like, you could make the fairies as fast as you wanted them to in this fight. Just if it meant making uh, Dahlia, giving her more to do, I feel like this is something that could warrant you to bend whatever rules you have established. Yeah, it's just a a very slow-paced fight, and it's just kind of, like, drags on. Exactly. And the environment isn't that interesting. It's just kind of, like... Yeah, as much as I... And cactus. Yeah, which... Don't get me wrong. It's a good look for a product... Like, a establishing shot and stuff like that, but, like, just them running through these very wide open fields with cactus in the background, it felt like... Maybe if there was an element of where Alina had to traverse, like, this almost maze of cactus without being, like, pricked. Like, it felt like there were some missed opportunities for, like, slapstick with this. Because you have, like, these bumbling, like, goblins. You have these cacti, and, like, you could just... Yeah, we didn't see one comical shot of a goblin getting a cacti prickle up his butt. So and, like, I mean, he'll fly in the air, like, five yeah, feet. Yeah, and then he, like, like, bounces around. It's, like, right there. See, it's like we're writing this movie for them. Yeah, you know? like, it feels... It just seems like something that, like, they could have added a little bit. But mm-hmm. eventually... So it's kind of boring. Yeah. Okay. Let's but, just get to the climax. Yeah, so Alina enters into the castle, and, oh no, it turns out uh, Hugh... And Bibble, oh, forgot he was here. And oh yeah, Bibble is always here. Bibble is here. He's always right there at the yeah, back. Yeah, we haven't mind. really talked about it, but literally after every line, it feels like Bibble just has like one little gibberish thing to interject, <laughs> like just to remind you that oh yeah, Bibble is here. But yeah, yeah Bibble, Hugh, and Dahlia have been captured, and uh, they're in the room with the other guardians and. Uh, Alina just kind of enters in there without any plan, and she's just like, let them go! To which, uh... It's like, why is it established that she's the only one who can do this again? Yeah, exactly. Like, what what was her plan? Like, what was even... Like, what was the thing that Dahlia was supposed to... Like, they knew about the point of convergence, but, like, it felt... Oh, that was another thing. When they were talking about the point of convergence and all this sort of stuff, like, whenever anyone would ask a follow-up question for anything that Dahlia knew, her answer was always, I don't know. I left before I could find out. Which is just, mm-hmm. like, okay, movie. You, we get it. You didn't want to have to explain this, but... Really? You couldn't have, like... You know, if it gets us to the climax yes. faster... Yeah, let's so... Just... so uh, Laverna has this whole "we're not so different, you and I," thing. which is like the same BS that every like second-rate villain used to go through. Like, we're exactly the same, except and it's when like we're not no, the same at not all. at all. Like, there are ways that this trope can be done very well. Uh, yeah. If 
if you're ever interested in learning about storytelling, listener, uh, I recommend the YouTube channel Overly Sarcastic Productions. They do a s- series called Trope Talk, where they go into individual tropes and, like, talk about, like, how at least they individually as writers deal with, like, certain tropes. It's a really interesting listen, but, yeah. Anyway, she does the whole, we're not so different, you and I, but at She's least... She's like, you are discriminated against because you don't have wings, but I was discriminated ag- discriminated against because I was evil, so we're exactly the same. Yeah, like, on one hand, again, they were, they could have potentially built up to, like, this whole move, like, this whole story about prejudice and, like, learning how to, like, uh, overcome it and stuff like that, because... That was something that Dahlia was also dealing with, and that's something Alina's dealing with. And, like, it's something, like, the whole future friends thing. It could be a thing about, like, learning how to not let prejudice shape your perceptions of other people. And they just don't go anywhere with this. And instead, like, uh, Laverna just basically cast a spell on her to hypnotize her into giving Azura her necklace back. And in turn, completing the ritual where uh, Laverna absorbs all the... She gets showered in rainbow. Yeah, so it's it's a pretty... It's a, it's a nice shot. Yeah. Although, uh, we, we didn't mention this, but in one of the earlier scenes, uh, Ruby gave a very sassy face. Yes, that became like a reaction meme. Yes, so you might we'll be sure it. to we'll be sure to include that in our Twitter. So like I said, best character. Best ever, character maybe. definitely. Next to Bibble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So but eventually, while she's completing the ritual, it seems like all is lost except Azura's like, wait, Alina Remember the friends you haven't met. And that's somehow enough to break her out of this trance? Yeah, we forgot to mention that a part of her, like, how she was able to entrance her, she essentially gave her wings. Yeah, she gave her the promise of, like, oh, if you do this, I can give you what you wanted. Wings, so you can be like everyone else. And, okay, that brings, maybe that might give an idea of, like, oh, maybe conforming's not always the best thing. Like, oh, maybe it's good to embrace your differences. But, nope. Uh, instead, uh, Alina says, breaks out of the trance and throws Azura's necklace into this crystal that was floating above Laverna, which turns out to be the point of convergence because it's all the light is converging in a rainbow and it's just like, okay. And... She throws the necklace in, and suddenly, poof! It causes Laverna to freaking die. Yes, she they... explodes into confetti. How fun. Which, I will say, in the last movie, I was like, man, it would have been cool if they like just did like the whole Disney death with the villain, and they sort of yeah. gave it to me here. Yeah, but she comes back in the sequel, so it's like not uh... death. So, I'm just... I need to see Barbie kill someone in these <laughs> we movies. We need Barbie gives us the desire for blood. Yes. Mattel, Barbie give us the shot. blood. <laughs> Please. So point. with that, all the guardians are saved and uh, the scepter that uh, Laverna was using was they begins dis- to disappear. Along with Alina's wings. So. Yes. But Alina doesn't seem bothered by that. 
She so, found the magic was inside her all along. Mm-hmm. Except the movie's not over yet. Yeah, because... so back at Magic Meadow, the Pixies are flying again, and they're all glad to see Alina. Everything's all happy, but... And Hugh even comes to uh, visit. And then the Enchantress comes up, and this is the first time she speaks in the movie. Yeah. And she's just like, you did a great service, Alina, Bibble... And dandelion, yeah, dandelions there, and she did not. She do did anything. not do anything. She just showed them to the first forest. God's sake, and left. Like, yeah. To like, be fair, she was wanting to participate. She but wanted to participate. Elena kind of like strong armed her around that. Oh my God, Elena just wanted to steal all the glory. Yes. Oh my God. That was her plan all along. Oh my God, she, yeah, God. perhaps so because. In exchange for her bravery, the Enchantress gives Alina a special necklace that gives her wings. Yep, so all that sort of messaging about how, like, what makes you different makes you special kind of goes out the window at the very last second because she, she gets always, her wings. She gets her wings and she gets what she wanted. And, and she gets, see, this movie didn't have a sparkly dress transformation sequence, so we get a sparkly wing growing sequence instead. Yeah. Although, interesting thing about uh, the Barbie, unlike other Barbie movies, she does she keeps the same outfit the whole thing, and there's only one Barbie doll for this movie. So I think they just kind of compensate for that by giving us, like, all these other Fairytopia yeah. characters. And, like, the thing is, at least they kind of establish where she is, like, you don't need this gift, but you deserve it anyway, so it doesn't Yeah. Like, and... At the very least, they let they let her solve the conflict without her wings, you know? That's true. They don't have, like, a scene where it's, like, the climax and, oh, and the, her getting wings ends up saving the day. Yeah, that would have definitely be, been a much weaker way to end this. But even then, it still feels it's, like it kind of shoots the message because it's, like... Yeah, it leaves a bit of a sour note Yeah, like, essentially any kind of, like... I know they that they wanted, like, the pretty fairy doll and whatnot, but it's, like, it just... I just don't ha have a fan of these sort of storylines, especially in kids' movies, where, like, the disabled person ends up getting fixed, quote-and-I-quote, in the yeah. end. Yeah. It implies that they are broken and they aren't worthwhile until the thing that makes them different is gone. And it's yeah. a very conformist message. And I know that's something that the Barbie brand has tried desperately in the past years to distance themselves from. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe if there would have been a scene where maybe the Enchantress, like, offered her wings, but she actually, like, turned it down and decided, like, hey, actually, I'm okay with being the way I am because it actually kind of helped me in this situation. That's true. Mm -hmm. And it could have even been, like, a lesson in, like, oh, maybe some people are way too, like, because only the fairies that had wings got sick, and it could be, like, a lesson in, like, hey, maybe, like, think about the sort of things you take for granted and, like, maybe think about the ways that, like, uh, these sort of advantages can be sort of debilitating to you. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't know. It just, like I said, it just leaves a bit of a... Sour note. Because it's like, I don't know. If they wanted to, like, have the movie end with Barbie having, like, the fairy wings, like, why not just, like, make her have wings the whole time? Exactly. You know? So. Yeah. 
Well, that's Barbie Fairytopia. Like I said, it's like we mentioned before. I think this one that it's all it was a lot more setting based, like them trying to show up. The yeah, because the actual like emotional stakes never really felt as good as they could. I know? agree completely. Like I'm definitely going to be a lot more interested in seeing how they approach this in the sequels because yeah. you said earlier that like. Uh, Mermaidia was a lot more ingrained in your mind compared yeah, to, like... Yeah, I definitely... Just from, like, the perception I get from what I remember, I think Mermaidia is, like, a bit of a better experience. But I think even as a kid, I remember this one being a little bit forgettable. Yeah. But... Well, it'll be interesting to see how they approach those. But do you have any other closing thoughts for this movie? I mean, not really. I'm just... Uh, do you know which one we're doing next? Are we doing... Yeah, Men? so... The next movie that we're going to be watching is going to be Barbie and the Magic of Pegasus. Yes, this is my favorite one. Okay. I'm so happy. I'm I'm going to be cautiously optimistic with this one. Oh god. If you roast it, I might (laughs) (laughs) Well Well, I've obviously in making videos for it, I saw footage of it and I noticed that like the animation styles like kind of back to basics yeah. with that. So maybe, like, with this movie, it was kind of just a departure, and maybe they realized that, oh, this did not work at all, so... Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from this, but... But, I mean, yeah, I, I hope you end up enjoying Pegasus. And, yeah. And, and, like... I mean, it's not like I hated this movie. I should yeah. I should be clear. Like, it's just that... I definitely think it was more interesting of a movie than Swan Lake. Definitely, but I, I feel like it was more interesting in terms of its like setting and aesthetics and yeah, stuff like that. It definitely, and, and in the pacing, yeah. I would argue, as much as some of the fight scenes and stuff were kind of slow, at least it wasn't like there was a wide enough variety of locations where it sort of kept your attention. Yeah, it de- it definitely felt like not as interesting from just like a watching perspective as other ones, but like I said, this is kind of like their first foray into trying to do this like spin-off sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And they obviously were able to keep it up. So like I said, that'll be interesting to see how this translates into a sequel, like if they're gonna like develop the characters more and we'll get to see more uh Bibble, which is always a plus. Because oh, he's gonna be around for three more movies because oh, he's also no. <laughs> he's also in the Mariposa film. Oh, so Lord. he does not go away. Well, I guess I'm going to have to mentally, emotionally and spiritually prepare myself for that. He never leaves. He'll always be there. Well, until then, uh Emma Thank you once again for joining me. Here. Yes, thank you for having me. It is. I mean, I guess time. I mean we're co-hosts, so it's not like. Yeah. Yeah, but. Well, I mean, I'm in your office right now, so I guess you did invite me here, so. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Well, cause there was that rumbling in the back. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, Emma. Thanks again for... Yeah. How would you one. rank this one? Oh, you're going to have will, ask me to do the ranking. Okay. I'll, see, I'll start. I will give it uh, three bibbles out of five. 
Maybe okay. like 2.5 bibbles, to be honest. Okay, I'd say out of the eight necklaces, yeah. I would give this one two necklaces and a broken uh, point of convergence. Yeah, okay. Well, there we go. Uh, I guess so, it's time to sign off. Yeah, so as always, if you enjoy this show, uh, be sure to rate us on your podcast platform of choice and be sure to follow us on our Twitter at Pink Isle Pod, where you'll be able to get more updates and stuff. Something about the uh, Barbie and Princess and the Poppers that we found a lot of nice memes and stuff about uh, these movies. So we're probably going to be posting more of that stuff as time goes on. So all right. Until then, to all our friends in Canada, have a fairy-licious day. Fairy-licious day. Yes. Yep. And remember, Bibble is always watching. Always watching. Goodbye. <laughs>